Well, I'm glad to be with you all this morning. Um, grateful. I'm honored. I'm thankful for this church. My boys go here. Glad that there's a place where they can uh, hear the gospel preached, uh, disciple, Christian community. Um, grateful for you guys. Uh, it's I know November, Govember. We want to celebrate that. Don't forget October, Pastor Appreciation Month. If you can show appreciation to your pastors, it sounds like they are, at least with food, for you guys. Um, y'all have wonderful pastors. I'm grateful for the guys that lead this church, uh, Adam and Dustin. Tyler and Andrew are okay, right? Um, uh, I'm grateful for all the guys that help lead this church. Y'all have awesome people. So we are going to be in Acts chapter 3. We'll look at verses 12 through 26. Uh, Think about the amazing work of God. What what happens when God does a work? We want to look at that. How how is God glorified? How do we respond? Um, So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. God, thank you for, uh, God, just thank you that we can be together uh, with your people. God, that you make us uh, into a family. God, that the church isn't just a place where we come on Sunday morning to sing some songs, maybe feel a little bit better uh, about life, but God, it is... Uh, your people coming together in your name. God, we've been made new in Christ. We humbly celebrate that. God, we thank you for the work you're doing. We also think about others that we want to see a part of your family, God, and we pray and ask that you would do that. God, that your mission would be alive through our churches, God, in our lives. And so we, we thank you that we can be a part of that. And God, that, that we would learn from your word this morning. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would teach us. God, that you would uh, send us out into the world to work in Jesus' name, that it would bring you glory. God, do that, I pray in Jesus. Amen. So Acts chapter 3, verses 12 through 26, we're going to read in a second. There's two chapters here, 3 and 4. It's the same, it's the narrative being played out of Peter and John going to the temple to worship. Uh, The first part of chapter 3, there is a a lame man, a beggar, who's, who's sitting at one of the gates, and he's hoping for some money or something that will help him so that he can be fed and he can have some basic needs met. Instead of food or money, Peter says, I don't have any any of that, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. He tells the guy, stand up and be healed. And the guy who's been lame and never walked stands up. And he starts jumping around and he's overjoyed because not, Peter didn't heal him because God has healed him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So they go in and they worship, and where we're going to pick up in uh, Acts 3.12, they're they're coming out of the temple. This man in verse 11 there, if you look at it, Acts 3.11, 
He was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished. They ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico. And actually, Christians would meet there quite often for teaching. Jesus taught there in John chapter 10. And so there's all these people that are gathered around Peter and John and this man that's been healed. And Peter is about to preach a sermon. So let's see what he says. Acts 3, 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who he has appointed, For you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Verse 22 Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways." So we see this amazing work that God does outside the temple by healing this man. What's what's the point? The, the, The amazing work of God. When we see that, here's point number one is this. The amazing work of God glorifies Jesus. Look at the first few verses, 12 through 16 there. How Peter is explaining to them and even asks the rhetorical question, did, did, did we do this? Don't think that we did this. Um, basically, don't look at me. This is a God thing. This is God's doing. And then in 3 through 15, he shares the gospel and explains that the work that happens that they see and are witnesses to 
It's, the, it's from the power of the glorified Jesus, and this work continues through the ages down to us so that it would bring glory to God and exalt the name above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Paul said this in Romans 1, 1 through 4. He explains that his, he was called to be a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God, or some translations say he was declared to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus and his name, his power, is what has healed this man. The second person of the Trinity, eternal, co-equal with God, the Father, and God the Spirit. Notice some of the ways that Peter describes Jesus in verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified His servant, Jesus. Jesus came to serve. The Old Testament, the prophets teach us that. The suffering servant. Actually, Isaiah 42 verse 1 says this in reference to Jesus, to the Messiah. This is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring, ju- he will bring justice to the nations. That was quoted by the Father at Jesus' baptism. At the beginning of his ministry, we see that Jesus came to serve, that the Father takes delight in the Son who serves, that the Spirit rests on him. He came in God's power. Isaiah 52 goes on. Verse 13 says this, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. That's fulfilled at the cross when Jesus was lifted up. It's also fulfilled at his ascension when he is taken back to heaven and he's exalted. Philippians 2, he's given the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Isaiah 53 goes on to talk about this suffering servant, Jesus, how he was rejected, how he was pierced, he was was crushed. And it says, by his wounds, we are healed. The gospel of Jesus who came to serve and to die in our place. Peter is preaching that to the people. In verse 14, he says, you, you denied the holy and righteous one, the holy one, Jesus. Even the, when Jesus was on earth, even the demons knew that he was holy. In Mark 1, as he's casting the demon out of the demon-possessed man, the demons say to him, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God. Jesus is king of the whole universe. Even the demons know it. 1 John 2.20 says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, 
And all of you know the truth. Jesus, we read about him in the Gospels. We see he was a man who lived and walked and ate and breathed. He, he died. He was a man. He was 100% man. He was also 100% God. The Holy One. Different from us. He came to do what only God could do. And he came as a man to do it for man. Jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is also the righteous one. Verse 14, he, he's worthy. We, we sing about this. Adam's just preached through Revelation. And I think about Revelation chapter 5 and how God is sitting on the throne and the scroll is brought out. And really the question that's being asked there is, who is worthy to unroll this scroll and to, to speak about and to dictate, to be sovereign over the world and history. And John starts crying because there's nobody that's worthy until one like a lamb that had been slain comes out and says he is worthy to take the scroll and to open it. Jesus, the righteous one, is sovereign over history. He's sovereign over the world. Not only that, he is worthy to go to the cross as our advocate, the righteous one. 1 John 2, 1 says this, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that the one who had no sin took on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That trade, our sin goes to Him. His righteousness comes to us. Jesus, the suffering servant, the Holy One, the righteous one, He's, he's worthy and able, He's willing to do that for us. And then Peter, as he's preaching to the people there in Solomon's portico, he refers to Jesus as the author of life, the source or the prince of life. Verse 15, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses to this. It speaks of Jesus's eternality, co-equal with the Father. He's always existed, always will. He gives life. Colossians 1, 15 and 20 speaks of Jesus in, in this way. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Life and the universe. I studied a little bit of chemistry in college. I don't remember any of it. I remember seeing these atoms that spin and how does it all work together and why didn't it just all fly apart? It's because Jesus holds everything together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place or preeminence in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the Jesus that Peter's preaching about. This is the Jesus that healed that lame man that had never walked before. And so in verse 16, when Peter comes back and says, by faith in his name, his name has this man been made strong. He answers the question he asked in verse two, Jesus is the one who heals and gives new life. It's all about Jesus. We see his power on display. We see it in the world that we live in today. God is not far from us. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He came down. He's almighty and sovereign. Guys, he's able to take care of us. I think about this this lame man that was laying next to the gate. His hope for his life that day was that he would have enough money to buy some food and feed himself. God's plan through the power of his son was that that man would be made new, healed, and be able to go out and live his life to glorify God. I wonder sometimes, do we expect less for the life that God's given us than what God has planned for the life that God's given us? Live our lives in such a way that that brings glory to Jesus. Embrace him, run to him, worship him. Glorify the glorified Son of God. When we see the amazing work of God, Jesus is glorified in it. The glorified Son does the work. Point number two, the amazing work of God, not only does it glorify Jesus, the amazing work of God, it humbles man. Look at verse 17. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. Peter's pointing back to Jesus being on trial, not long before this, and how the people, instead of shouting, uh, we want him to be our king, they were saying, we need to crucify him. And the leaders led out in this, and Peter's being gracious here. He's saying, look, I know that you guys acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. Sometimes we're just dumb. Right? Anybody relate to that? Uh, there's, there's a group of people, I think, that can particularly relate to this. Uh, the, the males in the room, right? The guys. Any married ones? Yeah. You ever just say something dumb? You ever just do something dumb? You're like, man, I hope she didn't hear that. Um, it, it reminds me of a time Beth and I were, were talking one day. We were, we were just daydreaming, thinking, you know, what if we win the lottery? And I pointed out to the earlier group, um, you can't win if you don't play, guys. Um, you can't win if you don't play. So, um, you know, Beth, Beth says, I think if I won, I would... I'd hire a chef, somebody that can just, hey, come in from work. This is what I want to eat tonight, and they would just go fix it for you, right? And I'm like, I wouldn't hire a chef. I mean, I already got one of those. So, so, no, first of all, that's not a true story. 
Um, I would never say that, right? Um, I, I don't play the lottery. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say it, but I probably have thought it. <laughs> um, we're dumb, guys. Uh, we're stupid. Actually, we're, we're more than, we're worse than dumb. We're worse than ignorant. Verse 18, as Peter continues to preach about what the people have done to Jesus, he points out, in this way, though, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Here's the thing. God knew what he was doing when he sent his son. God is faithful. Jesus is the humble servant who's been exalted. Man is stupid and sinful. When we understand who Jesus is and we begin to look at ourselves and understand who we are, there's only one proper response from us. And that is that we would repent of our sin and we would turn back to the servant, the holy one, the righteous one, the author of life, Jesus. Remember when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, storm came up and Jesus wasn't super worried about it. The disciples think they're going to die. Jesus stands up and calms the storm. Now the disciples have seen miracles up to this point, but this one has a direct impact on their lives. They thought they were about to die. Now they realize that because of the power of Jesus, the Son of God, they've been saved. And Peter looks away when he understood how awesome, powerful, almighty, exalted Jesus is. He looked away and he said, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. We see our sin. Actually, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when Peter is preaching to the people, it says that they were pierced to the heart. When they realized what they had done to the Son of God, they were cut to the heart. Acts chapter 16, same thing. One of my favorite stories, Paul goes to Philippi and he's preaching the gospel and Lydia gets saved and a house church is formed there and this demon-possessed girl is healed and delivered. Implication is she gets saved. The city's in an uproar because the gospel's just moving through like crazy. Paul and Silas get thrown into jail and God does a work that night in the jail. The jailer thinks everybody's escaped and Paul and Silas share the gospel with him. And what he says to them is, what must I do to be saved? This man, who was probably one of the nastiest guys in town, realized that Jesus could save him. And he repented and he turned from his sins. One of the beautiful things about Acts chapter 3 here is these people, some of them that Peter's talking to there in the temple, they were probably there when people were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, when Jesus was about to be crucified, they're getting a second chance to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Even after everything they've done, forgiveness is available. It's the same with us. Verse 22 takes us to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen will be completely 
cut off. The message there is you're getting a second chance. You have an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Don't blow it. Don't waste this opportunity. I think he would say the same thing to us today. Peter says, when you repent, when you turn back, that verse 20, he says, do that, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we turn from our sin and we turn back to the one true God in Christ, we have a, a new heart. We have a new life. Things are different. We have a refreshing that takes place. That word, it's like whenever a breeze blows on a hot day. God refreshes us in our spirit. In verses 20 and 21, He restores. Talking about Jesus, the one who was appointed as Messiah. Heaven must receive Him until the time of the restoration. There's an there's a eschatological picture here. How we live in this already but not yet time in history where if you're a believer, you've already been saved. You, the Holy Spirit has already come in and renewed you. You have hope of heaven and all the good things that in, we have in Christ. And yet, it's not yet been 100% fulfilled. We don't stand face to face with Jesus yet. We will. So we live in this time of tension and God gives us work to do during that time. One of my favorite verses, Matthew 24, 14, says this. Again, this already but not yet. We're on mission phase of history. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Our repentance, turning back to God, being refreshed, all of that is a part of the restoring that God not just wants to do, but that God will do in history. And He calls us to join Him. How do we apply this? The people were ignorant. Are you? Am I? Are we ignoring what God is doing in our lives? Is God speaking to you about something? Is He revealing Himself to you in a certain way and asking you to be involved in His work? Asking you to be involved in the church? He's calling you to say no to sin and to say yes to Him. Are we ignoring what God is saying to us and what God is doing? Are you walking with Him or away from Him? What's the direction of your life right now? Maybe for some, there's been a time where you never truly put your faith in Jesus the first time so that you could be born again, refreshed. His Spirit can live inside of you. If that's something that you feel like God's calling you to do, find one of us today. We would love to talk with you about what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we ready for His return? The amazing work of God glorifies Jesus. It humbles man. The final thing is this. The amazing 
work of God blesses the nations. Look at verses 25 and 26. Peter, continuing to preach to the people, he says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Verse 25, he refers to them as sons of the prophets and of the covenant. So which covenant is he talking about? What does that mean? Well, he introduces Abraham. He's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. We see that in Genesis 12. When God calls this pagan man, Abram, changes his name, changes his life, changes everything about him, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. What he says to him is, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. He repeats that three different times to Abraham in his life, and then he also repeats it once to Isaac. Four times God explains that he's blessing Abraham so that the nations can be blessed through him. Here's the thing about the Abrahamic covenant. It, it was never primarily about Abraham. It was never primarily about Israel. The Abrahamic covenant that Peter refers to here was always primarily about Jesus and God blessing all the nations through him. God raised up this man. He raised up this nation through the Israelites. He sent his son. He sent his Messiah that he would live and die and be raised again and that the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. Now, Peter actually at this point might not have fully even understood all that that meant because God's continuing to reveal it, but he surely would very quickly because in, in Acts chapter 5, Peter's going to be told to go to a guy named Cornelius, who's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And as Peter interacts with Cornelius and sees this whole Gentile family get saved, He's going to go back to the church in Jerusalem and say, God's doing an amazing work even among the Gentiles. And then this guy Paul's going to come along and he's going to go out and he's going to share the gospel with almost all Gentiles. And the church is going to grow and multiply. And as it does in the New Testament, we see this very clear teaching and picture of the gospel going to all of the families of the earth. Actually, Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 7 through 9, he talked about the Abrahamic covenant. He said, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles or the nations by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Paul says that in Genesis chapter 12, when God gave Abraham and made a covenant with him, he was preaching the gospel that there would be salvation to all the peoples of the earth 
and that through His Messiah, all the families of the earth, all the nations would be blessed. God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. He was making clear His missionary intentions for the world. Sometimes I think it's subtle, but very important. Church is important. God calls us to be a part of His people. But the work that God has for us to do doesn't end right here. God had a mission before He had a church. So sometimes we think to ourselves, oh wow, the the church has a mission. Actually, a better way to say that is God's mission has a church. God has called us to be people that take the gospel out. Notice in Acts, this gospel movement from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. feels like it's getting bogged down a little bit in Acts chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. But Acts chapter 11, the gospel begins to leave Jerusalem. There was a scattering that took place because of the persecution when Stephen was martyred. And you can see the gospel working its way up the Mediterranean north toward Europe. And it gets to this place called Antioch. And a church is planted in Antioch. And from there, missionaries are sent out all over the known world at that time. Paul was one of those missionaries. Paul had a call to go. He he reiterates this in Romans 15, verse 20. He says, My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. His goal was to go to places where people hadn't heard about Jesus. There are still places like that today, guys. Verse 24, he said, whenever I travel to Spain, he wanted to go to Spain. That was the ends of the earth for him at that time. He said, I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Paul was going to visit the church in Rome Think of the impact that Paul could have had if he would have stayed in Rome, the center of the universe. He wanted to go to the ends of the earth. And then back to Acts chapter 3, Peter finishes his sermon. He said, God raised up his servant. Think of the meaning in just those few words. The suffering servant accomplished the purpose that the Father had given him It is finished, is what Jesus said. He died and God raised him up from the dead. He's king of the universe. He's sovereign over everything. Then Peter says, and he sent him first to you, implying, again, you've got a a second chance to believe. He's coming to you first, but he's going and his message will go to the ends of the earth. What do we do with that? Guys, we have to go. Um, I love that. Govember. For for some of you, God's calling you to to plant your life right here. And and to go for you, maybe primarily it means you're going to your neighbors. Maybe it means you're going to campus. Maybe it means you're going to the people where you live, work, and play in, in this Huntington area. Uh, Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea. Jerusalem is a legitimate place to do mission. God wants us here on mission. He's calling 
some, maybe most, to serve locally. But I believe that some of you God's calling to serve among the nations. Um, Some of you, God is calling to go to a place like Spain that Paul was talking about where people haven't heard about Jesus yet. Reminds me of a story. January the 2nd, 1956. Jim Elliott had dreamed about this day for years and years. He got out of bed, he got dressed, he got ready for the short flight over the thick jungles of Ecuador. For three years, and for many hours, they had been planning, this group of missionaries, Jim and others, had been planning and praying to engage the Aka Indians with the gospel. The Aukas had killed every outsider that had ever tried to go into their area. Even though it was dangerous, Jim had no doubt that God wanted him to tell the Aukas about Jesus. As a little boy growing up in Portland, Oregon, Jim Elliott listened carefully as visiting missionaries would come through his home and come through his church. They would talk about what God was doing all over the world. He would ask them questions, and he dreamed about being a missionary himself one day. That day came when he left home in 1952. Got on a ship with Pete Fleming. They sailed from California down to South America. They they learned Spanish, and they They interact and work with people in Ecuador and Quito there in the capital city. They saw people come to faith. They saw churches started. But God was calling them to go to places where there was no knowledge of Jesus. The Aukas were a headhunter tribe. Actually, not long before this group of missionaries attempted to engage them, this this group of people, this headhunting tribe, had killed Several workers at an oil company drilling site near their territory had to close the site down. But Jim and four other missionaries began to plan a way to show the Aukas that they were friendly. Nate Saint, the pilot, the missionary pilot, by all accounts he was a genius pilot, he would take his, his airplane and he would fly in a, in a super tight circle above Aka villages, so tight that they could lower out of one side of the airplane a bucket, and there was a rope attached to it. They could lower this bucket down to the ground, and it would just sit in one place in the village as the airplane above is flying in circles. And they would lower gifts down to the Aka Indians. And then after a while, the Aukas actually put some things back in the bucket, and they would lift it up. And so they felt like a relationship was being built, that there was a, a friendliness that was coming about in these people. And after dropping gifts for many months, they decided that it was time to go and engage them face to face. One day while flying over the Aka territory, Nate Saint spotted a beach on the river that looked long enough to land the plane. He planned to land there. The men would build a tree house to stay safe. 
And then they would engage these people. So on January 2nd, 1956, the missionaries fly in one by one. They're dropped off on the Aka Beach. Nate Saint then flew back over the Aka village and, and called for the Aka's to come to the beach. After four days, an Aka man and two women appeared. They really couldn't communicate very well with one another because the missionaries only knew a few Aka phrases. But they did their best. They shared a meal together. Nate took the man that was with them up for a flight in the airplane. He flew over his village, and the man saw all the people down there. The missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them when they were leaving to bring other people with them next time. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for other Aukas to return. Finally, on day six, two Aka women walked out of the jungle. Pete and Jim excitedly jumped in the river, waded over to them. But as they got closer, they saw that there were Aka warriors behind them with spears. I didn't mention this in the earlier service. Jim Elliott actually had a gun in his pocket. He had decided, however, that he would not use it. He knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised that they would not kill an Aka who did not know Jesus just to save himself. Within seconds, the Aka warriors threw their spears, killed all the missionaries. Later that evening, the wives were waiting at the camp by the two-way radio to hear of the news of the day. But there was no call. As evening turned to night, the wives grew worried. They knew that the news would not be good. The next morning, another missionary pilot flew over. He saw the plane, Nate Saint's plane, that had been badly damaged. They landed and they found the bodies of the missionaries. News quickly spread around the world about the five uh, missing missionaries. But don't think that Operation Aka ended there. In less than two years, Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter Valerie, so Elizabeth was Jim's wife, they had a little girl, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were able to move to the Aka village. Many Akas, through their witness, became Christians. Today, they're a friendly tribe who send out missionaries and church planters to engage other tribes in that area. During his life, Jim Elliott longed for more people to become missionaries. In his death, however, he probably inspired more people to go to other countries to share the love of Jesus than he ever could have in life. And this is the famous words that he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm sure there were people that looked at that and said, man, what a wasted life. I'm sure Jesus didn't say that. Guys, God has called us not to just live a comfortable life wherever we are. He's called us to go, whatever that looks like, and if he's called you, here's what I want to say that. If he's called you to go 
to your neighbor, you need to go to your neighbor. Uh, I get convicted about that a lot. If he's called you to go to the nations, you need to go to the nations. Let's pray. God, we are truly humbled. When we read your word, when we think about the work that you did, Jesus, the work you did on the cross that we would be saved, we would have eternal life in us, and we're reconciled. God, we have hope for the future. God, you've called us to be your people on mission. God, I pray you would send us out. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the discipleship that happens here. Thank you for the sending and for the going. God, I pray even more for that. And God, I pray for those that maybe are wrestling with what does it look like to, to be called out to go and, and start a church somewhere, God, or maybe to, to go and, and engage an unreached people group with the gospel. God, work in our hearts. Work in those hearts. Make it clear. Give us the boldness to be a witness, God. Give us the boldness to be on mission. And I pray that in all of it, your name would be glorified. Amen.